Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 5th, and our chapter for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, what I'm going to do is cover 1 and 2 the very best I can. So let's go through these chapters together. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, called to be saints, as the text says, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, that's obviously not chapter 2, but we're going to get there because all of this is one thought. And as yesterday I went through the introductory material, what I want to do is go through the text the very best I can because it's so very important that we cover these first two chapters. Now, I want to start off by saying that the Apostle Paul, writing back to the church at Corinth, starts out by reminding them who they are in Christ. He's writing to the ecclesia of God, those who have been called out from the world, those who have been dedicated unto God. And so he says, as you're sanctified. That's past tense. That was, this is an event that took place and it involved who they are and their standing before God. That's very important is their position or their standing before God. You see, the moment that we are saved, God does so much for us that we do not experience. We experience the results of that, the rest of our Christian lives and our walk with God. But God does so much for us the moment we're saved that we don't experience and we don't feel. The Bible talks about when we are in Christ Jesus We are baptized into one body. I didn't experience that, but God says it happened. I am born again. Yes, God gives his spirit from above, and I enter into a relationship with God that's forever. I am justified. That means I am acquitted. I am not only forgiven, but I'm declared to be righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. I didn't experience that. I didn't even know about it. I couldn't spell justification when I was saved. And so I'm telling you, there's a lot of things we experience. Well, we're also sanctified. Now, the word sanctified means to be set apart from something and dedicated, consecrated to something else. In the case of the follower of Jesus, the Messiah, we are set apart from the world and the world's way of thinking, the world's way of living, the world's way of talking, and the mindset of the lost world, the pagan heathenistic world that's anti-God. We are set apart from that and consecrated, dedicated unto the Lord Jesus. And so that's why the term sanctified is in past tense. That means it happened at the time of our salvation. We are sanctified and we are called saints. Notice the to be is italicized. That means it's not in the Greek text. It's not in the writing itself. And so we are called saints. You see, those who are sanctified are set apart. So we are in a state 
and a position of sainthood. Now on this, the Orthodox churches just do not follow the scriptures because you are not made a saint by an earthly potentate or an earthly church. You are made a saint by being set apart by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets you apart, and therefore in that set-apart state, you are called a set-apart one, and the word we translate that is saint. Sainthood is the position of every child of God. The moment you're saved, you are a saint. You are set apart. You are in that position and that relationship forever. You may not act like it. You may not talk like it. But if you are indeed a saint, you're set apart by God, then you are in a relationship forever. So he goes on. He talks about the reason that he's writing and, and what a gift they are. Now, in verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, divisions among you. Now, I say this, and each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, that's Peter, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone say that I had baptized in my own name. Now, Paul was condemning this division and this dividing up into sex. Well, I'm a fan of this Bible teacher. I'm a fan of this Bible teacher. I'm a fan of this Bible teacher. And then there was one group that was so holy and self-sanctified and righteous that they said, I don't need anybody. I just listen to Jesus. I just am a follower of Christ. All of these are condemned. And the reason is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need a teacher. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives within you, but you're not an island. You don't know everything. And the means that God has used for sanctification is being taught the Word of God, growing in grace, living in obedience to the Word. You see, this is what Paul is going to deal with all the way through 1 Corinthians. And so he says, you need to get it together. You need to be together. You don't have to live in uniformity. That is that everyone believes the same thing about everything, but you do have to live in unity if you're going to be the church of Jesus with any kind of power at all. And then he says, for the message, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Well, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of world, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message priest. What is the message priest? Well, it's a stumbling block to those who are Jews. It's foolishness to the Greek because it doesn't make sense to them. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. This is the very nature of the Jew is to seek a supernatural validation of God's divine presence and God's divine word because that's how God has always validated his word 
word is through a supernatural expression that we call a sign or a samion, a miracle. But he said, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those of us who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what we preach, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And the word there is, not many of you are of noble birth. The word is eugenics, not of good genes. Why? Because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, that means rejected, the discards, the rejects, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why would God do this? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, what was all of that about? Paul had just come from Athens. Remember the context. He had just been on Mars Hill arguing and debating with those who came every day just to hear something new, something novel, so they could argue and debate and rationalize and see if it fit into their reason grid. And Paul had had no converts, no one baptized there. We read of no one being baptized in the New Testament. And by the way, the sign of someone being baptized in the New Testament is that their life has changed, and they show that through the outward symbol of baptism. And so no one was bad. We don't read of anyone, a few believed, but no one really had a life-changing experience enough to even be baptized after these great philosophical rhetorical messages of Paul on Mars Hill. Now, I know that's held up as the great example of how we need to reach the heathen world. It's not. I say that emphatically. It's not. Now, do we need to be persuasive? We need to give an answer? Yes. But the reality is that we're never going to philosophize someone into heaven. Paul came to realize that. This is why he's contrasting wisdom versus the message of the cross, which is a stumbling block. It's a scandalon, to, a scandal to the Jew. It is a foolish philosophy to the Greek, to everyone else, to the Gentile. Because the Jews are always seeking a supernatural manifestation, and the Greeks are always seeking after wisdom. Paul tried to give them wisdom, but it changed no one's life, and it never will. Because man's reasoning ability will never change a life. And this is what academics is involved with in our day, and it causes pride and arrogance. But when Paul left Athens on his way to Corinth, God did a miraculous strategy change in his life. When he comes to chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. That's what he had just done in Athens. He had just come to them with excellence of speech and with wisdom declaring to them the testimony of God. For I determined, when did he do this? He himself determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, which he had sought to present to the Athenians. But he did not get around to the crucifixion. We don't read that anywhere. 
No, what he was emphasizing there was this should make sense to you that the God of all eternity has done this and that, and it does, but it doesn't change anyone's life. You see, we in our Greek philosophy mindset in the West and in America, we think if we can just get someone to agree with us on the Roman road that that's how they're saved. Now, I hear this all the time. I was trained, nationally trained in EE as an instructor in EE, Evangelism Explosion, that came out of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and D. James Kennedy. A tremendous, tremendous tool. I was trained in continuing witnessing training with all of those things with faith. I've been through all of these Southern Baptist programs, which are great. But these show the type of mentality we have about people being saved. Now, just hang with me. Don't cast me aside yet and listen to me, please. At one portion in the continuing witnessing training, which was a very popular program in Southern Baptist life, at the end of the presentation of basically, you know, a, a man's problem, God's solution, uh, etc., we got down to the point to where we say, does this make sense to you? In other words, is this rational? Yes. Would you agree that what I'm saying is true? Well, yes. Is there any reason why, any reason, any logical reason why you wouldn't give your life to Christ? Well, no, I can't think of any. Well, would you pray this prayer with me? Yes. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins, etc., etc. And then we say amen and we say, did you say that? Yes. Did you mean it? Yes. Well, welcome to the family of God. It may be welcome to the family of God, but they may not have understood really what they said, but there was no reason why they wouldn't give their life to Christ. Why? Because it's costing them nothing. All I'm saying to you is we have in our American Western evangelism courses many times taught that what you want is agreement. What you want is an intellectual assent, a census, taking note and recognizing something to be true. Listen to me. There is no way a man can be saved unless he comes to the cross of Christ and realizes that he is dead in trespasses and sin, and the grace of God enables him to repent of his sin, turn from it, bring everything he is to Jesus, all that he knows about who he is and his sinfulness, and he commits all that he is unto all that he knows and understands God to be. He forsakes his sin. He forsakes his lifestyle. He forsakes his rebellion against God. And he comes to God without reservation and says, everything that I am, everything I hope to be, everything I have, and everything I hope to have is yours now. And you sell out to God. That's salvation. That's when a man's born again. Because you have to come to the cross. You have to come to the point of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not just understanding the rationale of salvation. Not just understanding the facts about salvation. Not just giving intellectual assent to a set of facts. That will never change anyone's life. It is only when a person comes to the crucible of salvation, and that is repentance confession of sin, and living a life of obedience, turning everything you are over to God and saying, from this day forward, I give my life to you and I want to walk in obedience. There's no such thing as someone just believing the intellectual facts about the gospel and believing even that Jesus died for their sins without a commitment to who he is and what he's done and exchanging who you are for who he is and all that he's exchanging your sin for his righteousness. All of that's not understood at salvation, but a man must be willing to give up everything he is 
to everything he knows that God wants for his life. That's when we understand the substitutionary nature of the cross. And so Paul deliberately said, I am going to emphasize from this day forward, my strategy is, yes, to preach Jesus, and not just Jesus, but Jesus and him crucified. And so he goes down through this entire chapter two, talking about the wisdom of God and what a great plan that God had in putting it all together and how that is brought about in the reality of life and life's decision. However, he says, this crucifixion and the gospel of Jesus and the gospel we'll learn in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, clearest presentation anywhere in the first six verses of 1 Corinthians 15. This is the good news. This is the euangelion, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture and was seen. You see, the gospel is not that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's not the gospel. The gospel, let me repeat, is not that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he was buried and rose again. You see, if you leave out for our sins... Christ died for our sins. The most important five words in the Christian life. Christ died for our sins. Paul said, I'd rather speak five words that people can understand than to speak with tongues of men and of angels. You see, the greatest message that the world has ever heard that Jesus died as a substitute for our sins. And so Paul said, I am speaking this. It's a mysterion. It's something that was hidden in the heart of God that no one really understood until it happened, until God revealed it. You see, Isaiah would prophesy about uh, the coming Messiah, that he would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, his wounding, we are healed. And then he would, in the uh, next few chapters, talk about the glory of the messianic age and the, what we call the millennial kingdom. And Isaiah, according to First Peter chapter 1, couldn't understand how all this would happen. It was a mysterion. I'll talk more about that in the coming podcast. But this is very important for us to understand. The basics of how man is saved are easily understood, but the depth and how profound it is our minds will never be able to comprehend. May God bless you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.